Hey, real quick, before this episode actually starts, the first, like, minute, maybe two minutes, my mic's all kind of funky sounding, that goes away. It's just blah, 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 recording, things happen. So, um, forgive me, you know, stick with it past two minutes. And then if you still don't like what I'm saying, then, you know, then that's just the show. You're just going to have to deal with it. All right, bye. Hey everyone, it is me, Alex. You're listening to the Alex Cast. I have on tonight professional guest host Steph Quick. Hello, Steph. Hi, Alex. And uh, professional podcast guest, Mr. Matt Hopewell. Hello, Matt. Hi. How are you doing? Oh, good. How are you? Oh, just fine. Just fine. So welcome to the show. You are the the new addition. Steph has dealt my shit before, so welcome to this nonsense. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I, I always enjoy listening to your multiple podcasts and. Uh, it's always a joy to have Steph uh, hear her and to talk to her. So I'm happy to be here. Oh, good. Terrific. Yay. I was glad when people have heard the show before, because then it's a lot of, a lot of shit to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, Steph has invited us on. Well, she invited both. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Steph, first question. <laughs> starting. Yes. I'll put you under pressure. Yes. We're putting Steph through the paces of being a co-host. Yeah. So, oh, well, you probably want me to explain to everyone what the purpose of our uh, meeting here today is, right? Kill it. I want, I want, I want, (laughs) I've been doing this for too long. I want to kick my feet up and have somebody else handle this shit for me. (laughs) Anyway, but um, you said, well, why don't we have someone on the show? And I said, well, let's get Matt Hopewell um, because he is super nice. I got to say, Matt, you and your uh, lady friend Pam hosted some Zooms over the summer and you were just both very sweet. And we had some uh, fun, really nice uh, conversations. So I like that. And then uh, you're just kind of like an all round Fortean Discordian type. Um, you know, you've had a bunch of strange experiences, um, including like premonitions and a lot of psychokinesis and poltergeist type effects that you've been around. Uh, you're very into history and um, you do these great, uh, you know, on this day things which tend to for, uh, focus on paranormal kind of personalities and, and strangeness, uh, weird events, flying saucer uh, encounters and whatnot. And yep. uh, then you're also, uh, you know, you, you write, uh, you investigate kind of strange things and uh, like a digital uh, weirdness. Um, you had a great show on Conspiracy Normal talking about the Ashtar, was the Ashtar command transmission in the yeah. 70s? Yeah, yeah, 1977. Yeah. Okay. So it just seemed like it'd be a lot of fun to talk to you about um, all these different things and kind of maybe how they tend to kind of come together. Um, to make the man that is AP strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean, that's why I have multiple names, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, AP strange is what I tend to go by these days with, uh, with my public facing Twitter stuff. Um, 
which is a truncated version of aficionado prodigiosus. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm stumbling over it myself. Aficionado prodigiosus, purveyor of the strange, which uh, I guess I, I should have put more thought into the snappiness of that when I came up with that name, but <laughs> it doesn't quite roll off the tongue. But um, AP Strange is good. That's got a good for you, but. Uh, uh, the uh, prodigiosis. Oh, that's a tough one to pronounce. That's why I went with your real name. But like, ah, I'm not even going to try to say that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's bad when I when I mess it up when I'm trying to say it, you know. So, uh, fucking Latin. <laughs> it's funny because before we called you, we were talking about you behind your back. Um, me and Alex, Matt, and your last okay. name is Hopewell. And he was saying because I wrote up all these notes and. As usual, I, I kind of go on one or two tangents. So he's saying, what's going on with this whole 14 name game here? And I thought, actually, your last name is kind of a fun 14 name game because um, there's the Hopewell uh, um, culture, which is uh, associated with like the Adena Mounds and everything and kind of like it's like the Midwest and stuff. Right. The, the, the mound culture, I think, in Ohio. Is yeah. In Ohio? Yeah. Around there. Yeah, so, my name, my my surname pops up a lot. Actually, I see I've found it in a lot of different places. I think there's 26 or 27 different towns with that name yeah. in uh, the United States. There's a rock formation in Vancouver. I think I think Vancouver or maybe Nova Scotia. It's Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I've seen it pop up in fiction before. Mm-hmm. So. Um, in the book Jaws, the town of Amity is supposedly named after a witch named Amity Hopewell. <laughs> and uh, that's just a little factoid that's buried in the book, and it's not in the movie at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was funny seeing that. And Stephen King has used the name a couple times in some of his books. So Yeah, it's a good it's a good name for horror basis too, like Hopewell. It's you know, the antithetical to what we're about to see. You know, yeah. <laughs> hope well. Yeah. No, no, you're not. You're going to be eaten by a clown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it just basically led to me become, being called hopeless when I was a kid. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I guess, yeah. You get teed up on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're going through a gothy phase. Yeah. Right. Which sadly, my goth phase is going on its twentieth year at this point. So. <laughs> 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 oh, so Steph, you didn't you didn't fully explain this fourteen name game thing. What what is what is this? Well, it, actually, the hope is kind of people that are, for example, uh, like Charles Fort, the original fourteen. Believe it or not, uh, would notice, and the people after him have noticed that Lauren Coleman has been uh, really into this whole aspect of the high strange um, uh, experiences. Yeah, Twilight yeah, which is, language. Exactly, which is that you find that these certain names, uh, you know, they can be surnames, place names, um, tend to cluster around high strange events. Or you have, um, I think that uh, Lauren Coleman and some other people have looked at the, the name Lafayette. Yeah, the Fayette factor is what he yes. calls it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just pops up over and over and over again um, in association with all types of uh, high strange experiences everything from like uh ufo encounters to cattle mutilations to uh you know hauntings all these uh you know very things and sometimes i think also as well uh certain like highly unusual uh 
you know, like a murderer or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. So, or people who tend to have, uh, you know, a lot of like, you know, a psychic would be born in one of those towns. I, cause the, um, let's see. So Alex brought up, I, where, let me see if I can find it here. I've had this, um, and a lot of it is that it's like, there's this meaning kind of associated with these names and they kind of cluster, but, it doesn't have, let's say, a linear causal connection to it. It's right. kind of just like these kind of, um, it's almost as, as, as if there's kind of like a magnet somehow, like these names kind of become magnetized and kind of uh, attract strangeness to them somehow or attract each other. Um, because I wrote this one up, let's see, I'm going to try and say it in a linear fashion as it happened to me chronologically <laughs> see what you guys think but it's interesting to me because i hadn't really thought about uh too much about this so i was watching hellier which of course become very popular um there's another uh, podcast that just dropped called penny royal which i like even more than i liked hellier and uh very interesting talking about these kind of high strangeness uh, erupting in, over time in, around certain locations but that centers around a town called somerset now when i was a girl I was always interested in strange stuff from the time I was very little. I grew up in a uh, town called Castro Valley. I would walk down and, you know, I've ended up having uh, a lot of, um, as people know, interest in, for example, uh, sex magic um, yeah. as I've gone along here. So I, I ended up, uh, as a girl, I would walk down Parsons Avenue <laughs> to Al, Al's Market, right? So it's like Jack Parsons, Al Crowley. Um, I was never had a, like a UFO abduction or anything like that, but a lot of people that are like me having a lot of weird stuff, they, you, you would expect that they would be abducted by UFOs or aliens as children. So I never had that. I did have a number of attempted abductions by uh, just like perverted men, child kidnappers, one of which happened actually in that Owl's Market parking lot. That parking lot is at the intersection of Parsons Avenue and Somerset Avenue. Wow. Um, yeah, that's, there's a Somerset for you. Uh, there's also this thing in Pennyworld that they have this weird thing with beheadings and decapitation murders. And actually, Al's Market was a little bit of a throwback, and they had a, a butcher's counter that they had a bunch of uh, game heads mounted all over the store. So it's like you have these decapitated heads all over the store. Um, interestingly, one of the main uh, abduction attempts that I had that was probably the one that scared me the most happened on Wilson Avenue, and of course I'm a big fan of Colin Wilson, and then the woman who saved me, I actually got in a stranger's car to escape this guy who was trying to kidnap me, uh, she was on Santa Maria, she lived on Santa Maria Avenue, which is like, you know, Mother Mary. Right. Um, so then when I was in college, which was in the fall of 1980, I went to college at UC Santa Cruz, and I met this guy who was really sweet, really nice, uh, very good looking, very stylish. He had kind of like a 1940s kind of a little bit of an aviator feel style to him. His name was Alex Angel, spelled with two L's. Hmm. And I always um, remembered him and he had a really interesting name and I always liked him a lot. Um, he was just there that first year. We studied together and stuff. Um, when I met, when I saw your name, Alex, Alex with two X's, I immediately noticed it because I was like, oh, instead of 
angel with two L's, it's Alex with two X's. So it's kind of like I made it, it kind of made a thing together. And then it's in my mind anyway. And then as I found out later, um, you, Alex, were born probably within like three to four weeks of the time when I met Alex Angel. Now, Alex Angel is interesting because <laughs> I guess he ended up teaching, and I haven't had contact with him since, but I guess he ended up teaching at um, Berkeley High School, and I had done a search for him. He, a couple years ago, was suspended because he brought a rocket launcher to class. He's a historian. It was decommissioned. Wow. So it was like, yeah. So, of course, there you have, again, the Jack Parsons angle. And I forget who it was. I think it was Allison Jordan posted a picture of uh, Jack Parsons. And I was like, wow, he really looks a lot like Alex Angel. And um, well, Also, the the mm -hmm. strange, strange angel connection, the, the mm -hmm. Parsons the Parsons book, yeah. So. And, and then it turns out that H.P. Lovecraft, I guess, for a while, he lived on a street called Angel Street. I spelled with two L's. And I only learned that because someone sent me an article about a, a gay ghost who was like copying feels of the <laughs> men who came to his books. This guy had had a cult bookstore, and I guess he was still there as a ghost kind of. Uh, uh, was he the butt, the butt grabbing ghost? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of that. So it's just like this, and that's like kind of like the Fortean name game on the whole, which is just like you just have these, like these weird connections, and you can't really make like a causal connection to it, but it's like, you know, the, the names keep popping up and these themes keep popping up. Yeah, it's almost and, like there's an invisible thread connecting, uh, an invisible thread of strangeness connecting all these different things, and that's that's just like a signpost for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Matt, Matt you argue, come from a writing background. Do you write any fiction or just poetry type stuff? Um, well, these days I'm more concerned with uh, writing research-based stuff on strangeness, but I used to write a lot of poetry. Uh, and so, I, I always wished I could write fiction, but I was absolute garbage at it. So, <laughs> so the, the phenomenon that uh, you that we're talking about here, I, I, it, it's funny that we all have like different words for the same thing, is I always call that lazy writing, where... <laughs> If you read my books, anything I write, you can tell what I was reading at the time by the last names I give to the secondary and tertiary characters. Because it's just yeah. like, I don't know. I don't feel like thinking of a name. So it's like, yeah, that guy's last name is Parsons. You know, you just got to throw it out. But when it's happening in real life, you're like, wait, this can't be lazy writing. Or, or you know, can it? But yeah, it's funny when the world starts having lazy writing. You're like, really? That happens at Al's Market on, you know, on Crowley Ave or whatever. Like, come on. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's part of a lot of high strangeness accounts that I've found is that it feels almost like bad writing. Yeah. Like if it was if it was made into a TV show or a movie, nobody would believe it. It would just seem too outlandish, so they wouldn't bother making it, you know. But <laughs> yeah. But some of these things purportedly actually happen, you know. So. Yeah, Robert Anton Wilson talks about that a little bit. How there like kind of has to be an absurd factor to those kind of things, or it's you know kind of impossible. Yeah. And I absolutely believe that, and uh, I'm a fan of of the raw stuff. And actually, I would argue that Wilson itself is ha, has its own kind of power name name game aspect to it. You know, we already mentioned Colin Wilson and Robert Wilson, so <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, that's no. Yeah, I was thinking about that before when you said Colin Wilson. I'm like, oh, that's that's such an um, uh, age disparity thing where obviously I'm, I'm 12 and you're 27. So that's the difference. But like when that, 
when that happened, Robert Anton Wilson wasn't a cultural, you know, like landmark as much as it was in the generation I came up in that that would be the connection. It's just, it's, it's funny that even that it's like an echo with the same name. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, uh, well, and it's funny too, cause you talk about, um, Matt, you were talking about, uh, the, the whole thing of like a, a belief and suspension of disbelief. And that whole thing, because the uh, the other thing that kind of cracked me up about uh, Alex Angel is that I've become, um, it's weird, over the past like about year and a half, two years, I've started doing the, these things where I want to precipitate or get these synchronicities going and then get a really good one that I have this good documentation for and then write it up in this particular way that is very aesthetically driven as opposed to just like trying to document in a particular, you know, it's, I have like a, a definite kind of a, like a certain uh, uh, aesthetic aspect to writing that I'm trying to get across as opposed to just, you know, getting the raw facts out there. But um, it, it just cracked me up because of course, you know, the gold standard for documentation is the New York times, right? The paper record. And so yeah. when I, I was looking Alex angel up, it cracked me up because he was actually in uh, the New York Times, and they just have like a, a kind of a creepy scan of the article about him. He was uh, doing venture capitalism or something. I don't know. But the funny thing was that it mentioned that he'd been to UC Santa Cruz, which is where we met, and it mentioned his age at the time, which was 37, which put put him right, in, you know, in the same time frame that I would have been there. So it cracked me up because I was thinking I have no nothing to back up that I ever knew this guy. But then when I, I actually got a little bit of a backup, but it was from the New York Times, so I just had to kind of crack up at, that uh, my neuroses had yeah. <laughs> kind of catered to <laughs> on this thing. But um, the other th one thing I wanted to ask you, Matt, about is what is your view, because I think this kind of plays into the whole aspect of hoaxes. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. So I don't know if you have a philosophical statement on hoaxes, yay or nay, or any particular favorites. Yeah, I mean, um, I was actually going to get to that. Speaking of Wilson, uh, the the famous surgeon's photograph of the Loch Ness monster mm -hmm. that everybody knows that that iconic image was taken by a uh, Doctor Wilson. Oh, uh, there you go, Robert Wilson, actually. Uh, it's mm -hmm. it's often written as Kenneth Kenneth Wilson because that was his middle name and that's what he preferred to go by. So mm -hmm. there's that there's the Wilson name again, but yeah. um, but I mean that that one photo to me, uh, I like ever since I saw it as a little kid. That's I, I mean I I feel like I could um, hang every every interest in the weird that I have on that one photo. Because mm -hmm. it just kind of, uh, and people say it's a hoax. I mean, there's a, uh, it's generally widely considered a hoax. Um, he just put a little head on a toy submarine and <laughs> put it in the water and took the picture of it. Um, but whether or not it is, it, it's like around that time of that photo being published, it just spawned such an interest in the Loch Ness monster that continues to this day. And um, and you know what does one create the other or was there a monster and then people have to hoax it in order to cash in on the monster or does the hoax encourage more people to hoax does the hoax create an actual monster you know that that that's the kind of idea that you end up dealing with and um, just today in the news coast to coast had an article about 
um, sonar readings again of something anomalous down in Loch Ness, you know. So just using Loch Ness monster as an example because it's one of my personal obsessions. When you're in a situation of hoaxing and uh, maybe true anomalous stuff, you're forced logically to put it into a chicken or the egg sort of thing, you know. So you want to know uh, which came first, the hoax. Mm-hmm. Or or the idea of a monster. And you could argue, well, it goes back to folklore. It goes all the way back to the 500s with uh, St. Columba. Um, so, so then you add a folkloric element into it as well. But you have to wonder, like, you have a chicken and an egg, but sometimes you have a rooster and an egg. And in and, and, and folklore and mythology, the, the rooster's egg is what hatches the cockatrice or the basilisk. You know, so I think there are things that are in between a hoax and reality, something uh, that we don't quite understand yet, you know, and that's mm-hmm. the stuff that I'm most interested in. It's also just like uh, fiction. Fiction does play into that, where um, people will compare something that was allegedly seen to something that appeared in a movie that same year, you know, um, does that mean that the the consciousness reflects what's happening in pop culture at the time or had happened already? Or does pop culture accidentally reflect things that actually happen independently of knowing about it? You mm-hmm. know? So <laughs> I think I answered your question with about 20 more questions, but uh, that, that's kind of the way I end up um, tossing these ideas around in my head. Yeah. What's interesting, Loch Ness, I love that that's your starting point because I think Loch Ness goes back to the, kind of the original you know, bullshit artist is Crowley was on Loch Ness, a bullskin house. And right. you know, a, another one of those, if you read his stuff, there's a lot of him just winking going, I'm just fucking with you. And then obviously him being overly serious, but there's part of that kind of hoaxy. Is it real? Is it not real? How much is you, are you taking this seriously? How much are you meant to take seriously? Um, you know, he's kind of like a douchier Robert Anton Wilson where it's kind of, you take half on one hand, half on the other, and somewhere in between you find something vaguely approximating true, maybe, sort of? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, nothing is true. Everything is permitted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think you have to take the Wilson angle and just have fun with it, too. Um, invest yourself completely in the belief of one thing and follow that to an extreme and then discard it entirely, you know? Um, yeah, well, this goes to, and you know, not, not to get too like deep into this, but I've been thinking about, uh, Wilson a lot in the modern political climate of, uh, in the kind of post fact era that America is living in right now, mm-hmm. how, and I'm not, I'm not putting anything on Wilson or any of the kind of that thought process, but it kind of is like the earliest form of, nah, just go with it, you know? And they had the, thankfully the idea of let you know, dropping it afterwards, but that kind of right. perverted form of it's happening right now. It's it's interesting to see the kind of the the dark side of that you know kind of wacky bunch of you know acid heads. Yeah. Not ready at all on acid. Are, but, are we yeah. are we allowed to curse? Oh yeah, of course. Here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say it's almost like Operation Mindfuck worked too well. You know, I, I think a lot of people have noted that recently. Um, uh, you know Wilson, of course, being being the spearheading the effort of Operation Mindfuck and and promoting ideas of the Illuminati and worldwide conspiracies and stuff like that. Yeah, it seems like there's a through line there that that was a joke. They were joking. 
something. <laughs> it's it's they were insane. literally fucking with people. But, yeah, um, and it goes nowadays. Through. The conspiracy theories you see nowadays, it's like they they uh, lost sight of the fact that it's supposed to be a joke. You know, they take it very seriously. You know, yeah. The uh, the thing that kills me. The thing that kills me about that is the uh, is the QAnon stuff that's going on. Where if you read the original QAnon post on 4chan and you know those those sites it's obviously they're just they're bullshitting it's it's shit posting like they're they're literally kidding the first post is wrong they talk about how hillary clinton was just arrested like it's it's fan fiction nonsense bullshit everybody knew it for what it was and somehow it's taken on its own you know kind of thought form you know to use robert anton wilson it's a (laughs) QAnon puka running through the place you know (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, boomers started seeing it and they couldn't, they're just illiterate as far as, um, inter- internet shitposting speak goes, Yeah. you know, <laughs> which I can relate to. Cause I mean, I've never used 4chan or Reddit. So a lot of meme culture just escapes me Yeah. <laughs> and even internet lingo. When I see it, I go, I, I don't know what that means. I give up and I just kind of walk away from it, but it's lost um, on me a little bit. I had to struggle for the term shitposting. I'm like, I know there's a word for it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, See, I'm still not even entirely sure what shitposting means. I mean, I just can, t- can you know, grab the context of it and guess. But <laughs> that's essentially it. It's just people just saying the dumbest shit possible and seeing if basically if anybody buys it or the most ludicrous. Like when that Harambe gorilla got super popular, that was a great example of just shitposting plus memes of just this is funny. Let's just idolize a weird dead gorilla. You know? Yeah. I guess it was a lie yeah. at the time, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gets it's interesting to me because i don't i don't know why but i always uh, kind of had an interest in these kind of just the the social interactions happening in forums and stuff like that like in the very early 2000s uh because i was on um you know it'd be like on makeup forums or sewing forums or conspiracy theory forums and it was interesting to see how moderation I think part of what I'm uh, getting a feel for is that we, for uh, these kind of cosmic joke um, trickster elements to be really effective and helpful, you have they have to be uh, contained within or interacting against like a solid structure. But when you don't have any structure going on, then things can really spin wildly out of control, like I think we're seeing right now. Yeah, um, I feel like for the past decade we've been adrift in a 14 C, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause what I noticed with a lot of these forums is that, you know, you'd have, um, there was this, uh, one makeup forum and it was like completely on point and everything you dropped an F bomb or, you know, even said shit or goddamn you were out. That was it off, off topic. You were out. That was it. And it was great because they had this real strict moderation. Um, but then, you know, I said, I was, uh, a big poster or involved in the rigorous intuition forum for a number of years. And, um, the moderation was horrible and they really didn't want to ever, uh, restrict anyone's free speech, even though you had these people that were just driving, um, the guy, Jeff Wells, who owned that, uh, started that forum, just complete, you could see him just going completely out of his tree, but he didn't want to, you know, put any, uh, strictures down or restrict anyone's free speech. So, and so things just got completely crazy. There was, I mean, speaking of, uh, sock puppets, people getting harassed, uh, weird kind of proto, uh, alternate reality, reality games going on. Um, just all type of just like completely off the hook, crazy shit. And all the themes of QAnon were there in that form 
back then. So my personal feeling is that, um, you know, if you look at like uh, Above Top Secret, all those old kind of classic forms, you see that, you know, that you have all these themes which go back to a lot of um, like the McMartin preschool satanic panic stuff. And uh, right. oh, who's that lady that had... Um, she was like a, uh, she said that uh, she was um, made into a monarch, mind-controlled sex slave, and then she was speaking out against it, and they, they had put like a star of Satan in her vagina or something like that. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> her name's Kathy something. Oh, Transformation of America, that's the, that's the book. Um, but it's just like this weird kind of... Uh, christian uh anti-satanic porno stuff because of course they have to go into excruciating detail about all these uh you know high up elite types who in their physical characteristics and and all the yeah, terrible sex things they did so uh but it's it, weird so, how specific they get when they describe that stuff you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and this, but then you know you see where you know if, if people are watching these type of forums or watching these kind of weird uh kind of uh, bywaters of culture or society, they can see what really gets people going and then, you know, weaponize it or use it to their own advantage, for example, something like QAnon. Because nothing they're saying is anything new, but they just figured out how to really sell it to people. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's everything, uh, kind of not pre-internet, but pre-popularized form of internet, is it's just, they just took David Icke and just <laughs> pared it down to his yep. his talking points and turned it into, I mean, first it was Pizzagate and then it was QAnon, which is kind of the same thing, but... Um, oh, there's a, there's a long shadow of Bill Cooper in there, too. There's a lot yep. of, uh, you know, uh, Behold the Pale Horse going on with the QAnon yeah. rhetoric. I feel like half the stuff I hear coming out of there is just like, I've heard this before, and it was more mm-hmm. con- more convincing last time. <laughs> it's like you guys aren't even trying, but it works, you know? Yeah. I actually have an operating theory that in re- the recent resurgence of belief in the flat earth was like a dry run for QAnon. <laughs> that they, uh, whoever they is, you know, the capital T they behind pulling the strings, uh, it promoted the idea of a flat earth to see if people would buy that. Cause if you get, if you can get a, uh, a movement of people that believe the earth is just a um, flat square and then <laughs> like everything else is wrong and space isn't real and all this other stuff. Um, it, you know, maybe you can, you, you can use that just uh, um, recycling old conspiracy theory tropes that that have that are tried and true, you know, and, and mobilizing people, uh, and bringing out the worst in everybody. Yeah, that's actually no, a really good point. Yeah, the the flat Earth thing coming back did actually kind of, yeah, that's right there because that's the first. That's the, at least not the. That's the modern form of the the first one I've run into, where the argument of, well, well, science doesn't work like that. Like the, the idea of fact as arguable when it comes to science it used to be fact is arguable when it comes to like oh that's not really the history of the united states perfect arguable point but when they're like no gravity doesn't work that way it's that that next step of well no i mean it's demonstrable it's provable i can give me a stick in a hole and i can show you the earth is round nope sorry not how science works this is yeah it's just a yeah. yeah it's a fractured reality because it's like you can explain what nasa has told us about space or what the hubble, hubble telescope has observed out in space and they'll just tell you that's all fake though you know not nasa doesn't do anything 
<laughs> yeah. They don't send anything into space because space isn't real. It's like how do you how do you reason with somebody like that? You can't. I've t- you know? I, I got invited to uh, when the when the flat Earth thing about uh, I don't know seven years ago or so when it started to get like uh, like quite a bit of traction, probably longer than that. Uh, I was invited by another pretty big podcast to have a flat earther on my show to argue with them, mm. you know, to I'll be the round earth arguing. And I, and I decided against it and I got called out for it saying like, Oh, I'm a coward or whatever. And that, and, but what it came down to is there's nothing I can say that can convince that person. So there's no right. way for me to ever yeah. win. Cause I could give 100% concrete proof proven by, by hundreds of years of good science. And they could just say, Nope, all fake. And there's, yeah. I, there's nothing I could do about that. I can't, I can't argue. And then also they can say, wait, Alex, you practice weird magic shit. You should believe in things that aren't real. And then I'm extra. Then I doubly lose. So I had to say, no, I can't even, I can't even argue the fucking round earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's sad that that's become politics now. Cause I mean, I ran into that the other day and it, um, it left me depressed for the rest of the day because I was talking with a Trump supporter in a professional capacity. So I'm not normally trying to talk politics with people who are essentially customers where <laughs> with me working, you know, and uh, it, it kind of casually turned into a political thing. And he informed me that all the mainstream media is wrong because, I mean, that's, you know, that's Trump's big talking point is that it's all fake news. And um, and, you, you know, went on to tell me a whole bunch of other stuff about uh, the Chinese Communist Party funding Black Lives Matter and, you know, all this yeah. other, yeah, it's just insane crap. And like there was nothing I could say. Uh, uh, diplomatically even, but even just being snarky because uh, uh, any source that I could cite would be something that in his mind was fake. You know? And him and his wife are both standing there. They already established that I have no point of reference that that I could possibly argue with them from because I'm not getting my information where they're getting it, which is the right place. And everybody else in the world is wrong. <laughs> it's, yeah. So I was just like, wait, so it's a worldwide conspiracy to pretend there's an illness out there just to tank the economy so that Trump looks bad. And they're like, well, yeah. And I was like, I was being really sarcastic there. You didn't yeah, catch it. It's, <laughs> it's uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, it, like, uh, it brings to mind the old Mark Twain quote um, about arguing with a fool. Uh Never argue with a fool because the passing observer won't be able to tell, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the difference. <laughs> so, um, but back to the flat earth stuff. I mean, that's the wise choice. Like not arguing with them is a great way to go um, because the flat earth has a long, long tradition of, of popping up and people arguing for it. And um and uh, it's it's ruined careers of scientists who have, uh, you know, scientists who have who have um, tried fighting the the logical standpoint and and proving the science of it, you know, yeah. Because flat earthers will never concede, and scientists will just eventually make themselves look like idiots trying to to explain something, you know. And that's that's kind of the kind of set of the post truth world of. The original flat earth thing was, was an author fucking around. He said sarcastically that, you know, the old times they thought the earth was flat as like a, oh, look at those barbarians, was misunderstood. And then people took it as fact that in the past people thought the earth was flat, where almost no one did. Like, 
all of Europe, like every bit of where our culture comes from was aware of the spherical earth. They didn't necessarily know it was, you know, an oblate spheroid. They didn't necessarily know the size, but like, uh, I think it was Hero in like three something BC figured out the circumference of the earth to within a thousand miles. The yeah, past it was, uh, was er- smart. Eratosthenes. Oh, was that who was it? Yeah, it was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, the at the Library of Alexandria. Yeah, yeah. he was able to mm-hmm. calculate the circumference of the Earth. Oh yeah, Hero and, uh, was the steam engine guy. Yeah, went, yeah, that was close. But yeah, it's but people, <laughs> people doing the oh well, you know, people always thought the Earth was flat. No, they didn't. It's it's one bit of misunderstanding, and then you know, kind of the 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 early form of meme culture took it on, and now we've got you know fucking flat Earthers on the internet. It's boggling. It's not boggling. It totally makes sense, but it's, you know, it makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so back to my my earlier statement, imagine there was somebody behind that uh, with, with all the tried and true arguments of flat eartherism that they knew had won people over in the past, just kind of starting a little bit of a machine. I mean, they could have just set up bots to see where it'll catch on, you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I really just feel like I don't think there's a huge overlap between Flat Earth and QAnon, but I think that um, it, it's curious that that Flat Earth took off the way it did. And then we started hearing all this, you know, all the QAnon stuff after it just kind of they both seem to have sprung up organically the same way, <laughs> unless <laughs> unless they it wasn't so organic. It was, uh, you know, mm. intentional. So, well, there's um, it's interesting because uh, of course you we are all uh, somewhat interested in flying saucers as well, but that has been a theme in uh, you know uh, flying saucer or UFO research communities from the very beginning is um, you know like groups getting like these uh, weird. Uh, uh, poison pen letters about other members of the group. Uh, I think it was April or something yeah, way back in the fifties. Yeah. yeah. And the infighting and then some of the stuff looking like it's coming from these weird um, intelligence communities, which would be exactly the type of uh, groups that would be studying psychological warfare and how to disrupt these communities or to start these type of uh, things. Um, Greg Bishop wrote a book called project beta about uh, one of these instances where they, uh, Okay, uh, Paul Benowitz was a contractor, a government contractor who was near a base in the uh, in the southwest, and he st- he was um, monitoring, I believe, radio frequencies, and he found this strange signal. And as it turned out, it was due to some uh, top secret thing that they were doing at the base. But some of these uh, intelligence people decided it would be interesting to kind of feed him all these lines about weird aliens to try and throw them off the track. Yeah, and Doty. They, yeah. And Doty, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, uh, Paul Benowitz ended up, you know, buying it completely hook, line, and sinker and, and ended up having a, a mental health uh, breakdown, I believe. Um, but that was like a real nasty thing. But that's actually, you know, fairly well documented as to that's what went down. So I think it's foolish to believe that, well, they learned their lessons. So of course, no, none of these intelligence people or shadowy uh, private interests are trying to, you know, work any of this type of thing nowadays. But yeah, and I mean, flying saucer history is really complicated with that kind of, uh, you know, very varied layers of of truth and lies and <laughs> uh, exaggeration and um, and government involvement in it. You know, because. I mean, a lot of saucer uh, contactees were, were investigated as being uh, communists by the FBI and stuff like that. 
mm-hmm. and and um, it, yeah, it, it adds a whole other dimension. And people are actually writing to J. Edgar Hoover about people like Adam Ski and uh, uh, because of the stuff they preached that supposedly came from the the Space Brothers, you know. Yeah. So, so, uh, so it, it is interesting to see how uh, there's government fictions that get layered on top of um, what what the average person might consider to just be really goofy stuff <laughs> like the contactees wrote about you know mm-hmm. um and and um and more nuts and bolts ufology uh, it follows that same kind of trajectory you know mm-hmm. and uh and the way it gets covered in the media you know and, and, the, and the the mirroring stuff in fiction as well yeah it's like really hard to um I mean, first of all, I think that there's, uh, and I can't remember where the heck I came across this idea, but there's this idea that uh, f- from like the psychological warfare angle, or even like the idea of uh, like a spiritual angle, that um, if you present someone with nonsense, their guard's going to be down, right? So you can more mm-hmm. effectively get in there with a meme or idea, because you're not, you're going to be thinking, oh, this is a bunch of BS, and then you know, people end up falling down the rabbit hole, as it were. Um, George P. Hansen, trickster in the paranormal, he writes about lots of times you have people that are uh, super skeptical. Uh, for example, when uh, during the spiritualist era of the uh, Society for Psychical Research back in the 19th century, you have some of these uh, scientists and stuff, and they be, you know, super skeptical and figure this is all just a bunch of BS. They go sit at a seance and then, you know, they, they feel a disembodied hand or something. They're like, oh my God, they're just like all the way in. <laughs> they lose all their critical thinking skills and just, you know, it was like a Arthur Conan Doyle with those pictures of the cot- cutling, uh, leaf, uh, cutting leaf fairies, you know, which are pretty much look like kind of cutouts that these girls put out there. So they work. They were reportedly cutouts from an anthology of uh, fairy tales yeah. that that Conan Doyle wrote the preface to. <laughs> oh dear! Oh boy! Yeah, that's. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's Although I ha- I have heard some really um, weird things related to the Cottingley fairies. Uh, that's a that, that's one of my many fascinations. Um, a, a good friend of mine. Uh, it, you've encountered him on Twitter and stuff before, Stardog. Yeah, He's uh, yeah. <laughs> he had occasion to meet Michael Benteen, the English comedic actor, who was also way into spiritualism and and had done um, had done uh, government intelligence work during the war. Uh, he he, <laughs> he had told told Steve at a festival that there were. The Cottingley Fairy photos that we know and that we've seen aren't the real ones. Oh man, there's real, there's real fairy photos. I've heard this too. Here. Yeah, you've actually heard this too. Yeah, Alex, I've heard. I the, the story I heard was that the last of the Cotting them. I'm not going to say that word correctly. Um, <laughs> uh, the last surviving sister claimed that one of the photos was real and they faked the other one to make it seem bigger and that she on her dying day claimed that she actually did take some pictures of fairies. It's, I mean, completely unsourced, but I have heard that as well, that there were real ones and that the story of them being cutouts is like this kind of artifice that was posted over the top, which again, mirrors weird UFO kind of narrative. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah, and I mean that's um, the, that that one's actually commonly cited. One of the I think they both agreed that they didn't want the attention on them anymore, and they they uh, said they were all fake. Mm-hmm. And then the one sister said that one of the pictures was real, of of the ones that we've seen, and all the rest they had to fake just to to please the investigators, which I think included Doyle, but was also involved uh, Edward Gardner. He was mm-hmm. a, he was a theosophist at the time, and um, a member of the Ferry Investigation. I don't know. I'm going to forget the name of this. Uh, there was a fairy investigation group in in Britain that included people like uh, Lord Hugh Doubting, and um, and, and uh, other spiritualists and theosophists. So uh, Gardner is the one that actually went out there, and he kind of bought more film for the girls and encouraged them to take more photos. And I think at that point the story goes that they were hoaxing some. But that what what I was alluding to is that there are photos that nobody's ever seen that weren't printed in the books that they decided not to go with because the fairies in the photos um didn't look the way we think fairies should look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what, but yeah, that was the part of the story I'd heard as well. But um yeah. I thought one of those had made the books and then there was apparently this kind of secret catalog of all the real ones behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome if true. And I mean, that was during an era, too, where a lot of uh, fairy lore was kind of becoming boulderized and just uh, refined so that it was more suitable for children as just kind of, you know, it's it's where the tinkle, Tinkerbell effect kind of comes from after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it was around the time that you had, again, this, you know, fiction influencing our, our, our perception of things. Um, the Wizard of Oz being printed, which... Is credited by a lot of people as as kind of tame, taming fantasy uh, and, and kind of taking the teeth away from it, you know, in a lot of for the for the 20th century. So uh, I don't know. Some of those later Oz books get pretty fucked up. Oh, they do, but yeah. I mean, I, I I guess maybe more the movie adaptation. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I read those books, like like Ozma, the the princess of oz like got turned into a boy and was like forced into slavery and there's like full-out wars like it get, this, those books get wild well then there well, was even some... the movie i mean that yeah. I, I this still is one of the worst parts where they're axing down that door is horrible oh right yeah of the return to oz or no just the original wizard of oh. oz movie where she's trapped in that room and the witch is trying to get into her and then she's they're have that big uh, wooden door and they're ag- at with the axe at it. And then yeah. the whole thing with the poor the straw man it gets like torn up and set on fire. I mean, there's some kind the flying, of nasty. The flying yeah. monkey, the flying monkeys oh, yeah. gave me nightmares. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. You know, it's still on the whole tamer than a lot of stuff, but I think it still has some pretty. Uh, violent uh, evocative imagery in it still and all i think we're used to it because we've seen it so much but uh, i think at the time at the time and the critics that came after kind of criticized it for for having uh kind of i don't know taking the teeth away from a lot of old fairy lore but mm-hmm. um i had read that at some point anyway i can't i can't see the point but um, I had also read that Aleister Crowley wanted to go see that movie in the theaters and he was talked out of it because he was told it was a children's film. Oh. But he, he wanted to know what this wizard of Oz was going <laughs> to 
<laughs> Can you imagine? He's like, this is like Don, old, old yeah, guy Donner. sitting there shooting up next to you in the theater with your little kids that trying to eat popcorn. Yeah. There's a little scene picture of Uncle Al with Ruby shoes on towards the end of his life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, well, I guess that was when he was starting to kind of sober up for the last time. and that, Yeah, that would have been toward, toward the very end, 1938. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it seems interesting the fairy stuff is, like, kind of turning around now, like, because it's such a popular, like, the kind of paranormal has gotten popular again. So, like, Supernatural, that stupid TV show and shit. Like, all those shows have, like, the, the dark side of fairy lore has become kind of popular. So it's kind of interesting to see it, like, spin back on its heels from, you know, the... The Disneyfication of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, then you have the Harry Potter version of it, too. I think uh, that's that's been the predominant magical and uh, myst- mythical animal <laughs> trope mm-hmm. going on for quite a while now. Yeah. The problem with that is just everything's in Latin, and spells in Latin <laughs> endlessly annoy me, because... Latin's not that old. Like, there was a shitload of languages before Latin. It's just, it's so annoying when people don't go to the source for something magical. Like, come on, man. There was thousands of years of language before they showed up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's a good point. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think think fictional depictions of things play heavily into what ends up getting reported. And, and, uh... And the the way a lot of these TV shows approach paranormal events it really bugs the crap out of me because um, I come I come at the paranormal from a, a place of wonder. You know, I, I I'm in awe of the weirdness of it and the mystery of it, and trying to unpack uh, what it, what the function is and how that could have happened. You know, and then you watch the TV shows, and they all try to turn it into a a horror movie. You know, yeah. and I love horror movies, but if I want a horror movie, I'll go watch a horror movie. If I want to know what happened to somebody when they saw a ghost or said they got abducted by aliens, then I, I just want to know the story. I want to know the facts of the case and how it affected them in their life. You know, um, but every one of these shows that they play the ominous low music where it's like boom. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that something's about to happen, and that's when Bigfoot jumped out of the woods, and it was terrifying. You know, uh, I, I, I think I think uh, the the way these things are framed has a lot to do with how they end up being reported. You know, and and, and how we end up thinking about them uh, holistically. Yeah, like we were talking about the contactee movement earlier. Where they were like, look at us, we're delightful, kind of, we're like Swedish swingers from space. Let's, you know, come, we'll have some sex, do drugs. And then, but then it turned into like, by the 90s, it's this, we're evil, we're smelly demons from space with big heads and giant black eyes and we'll stick needles in you and everything's horrible, grr. When 20 yeah. years before that, it was these delightful Swedes. Oh, and, and it changed, yeah. And then people started reporting it that way. Yeah, the, the, kind of fictional view or at least popular view just affects the way people see the phenomenon, which is, you know, brings into that, the essential weirdness that goes on behind it. And that's why I've, you know, kind of anti nuts and bolts of any of the ufology stuff. Cause there can't just be nuts and bolts. There's too much fucking weirdness around it. Yeah. I agree with you there. And, um, I think the sweets, the sweet spot for that was the seventies. Cause you had, it really ran the gamut. There was just a, uh, the, the humanoid wave in 1973 and <laughs> the various shapes and sizes that were encountered. 
uh, of uh, purported UFO occupants or um, you know flying saucer occupants and and the cryptids and monsters that that tended to pop up. That in like the early fifties had a lot of that too. Um, and then that's the stuff I really love is just these weird one-off sort of, uh, monsters that don't, don't really recur, you know? Um, and sometimes they just do ridiculous things. And, and it's like we were saying before about the absurdity of it. Uh, the, the absurdity of it almost bolsters the reality of it. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's that absurd, why would you make it up? If if you if you were going to make something up, you would make something simple up. You know, like yeah. you saw a light in the sky. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't make up a story of a flying saucer landing on the ground and a two and a half foot tall man coming out and shaking your hand, jumping back in the saucer and flying away. Yeah. You know? My favorites uh, are those where the old airship sightings, where it's just like these, like ho oh, ho, hello down there. They're like calling down in their dumb like leather caps and stuff. It's like some <laughs> steampunk time traveler. Those are the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just so weird, and it's like, why would anybody make it up, you know? Um, uh, yeah, and I think that I think that bolsters the reality of it because um, if something truly inexplicable happens in front of you, you have no real point of reference for it, and uh, there's no way for you to even really tell that story. You just have to sit with it and think about it, and uh, I, I think there's a whole there's a whole lot of phenomena that rarely gets talked about or cataloged because it's so fleeting and so small and, and not talked about enough, you know? And I tend to think, I call those mundane miracles, just little tiny things that happen in your day that, um, that most people just kind of shrug and walk away from because there's no real, um, explanation for it, you know? Uh, as a quick example of that, it, well, there's the idea of like library angels. People talk about that sometimes where a book just kind of falls into your lap, sometimes literally happens to have all the information you were looking for. Oh, yeah. Um, but I've also had it happen where I was looking for the Berlitz book about the Philadelphia experiment and found that it had vanished from my bookshelf. Now, this is going to sound like a joke, but it, this absolutely did happen. There's only one bookshelf it would have been on because I keep all my paperbacks in the same place and I had the trade paperback copy and it was gone. Later, when I was looking for another book a few weeks later, uh, it was back. And it's just kind of funny because, um, you know, that's what the Philadelphia experiment was about. Exactly. A, yeah. a, a book disappeared. The boat boat disappeared and then came back. So uh, it was exactly where I had looked for it before. Now, I could have overlooked it, I guess. But I looked for it really hard because I really wanted to find it. Um, and it just wasn't in the one place that I knew it would be. Uh, later, again, Berlitz's book about the Bermuda Triangle. Um, I don't know if it's called the Bermuda Triangle. But th I went looking for that one, which I remembered stumbling upon in my search for the Philadelphia experiment and that one was gone. And I don't think that one's coming back <laughs> because it's the Bermuda triangle. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, weird things like that. You know, I go ahead and post that on Twitter and other people have had this kind of experience of books that just disappear or are places that they shouldn't be. You yeah. know, I had a ring uh, do that to me. I was looking to, I, I had like one of those little cheapo Tibetan prayer <laughs> rings that you spin and it's got the Omani Padmeyom, uh, uh, chiseled into it so I was looking around for it and I knew it was on the desk near my TV 
and it wasn't there. It just, it was not there. And I don't mean like I could have overlooked it. I moved everything. I said the word ring out loud. I did all the tricks to find stuff. Like a week later, I've done so many things on that desk. It, that desk is part of my daily life. A week later, the ring is sitting there. I live on my own. I don't have a cat. I don't have a dog. I don't have a monkey. I have no trained animals. Somehow that fucking ring reappeared on a table with no one. So either somebody broke into my apartment to steal a $5 ring and then rebroke in a week later or some weird space time continuum shit happened in here. And there's, you can't, you can't tell anybody about that. Cause they're going to say, ah, you didn't see it or it's not, you know, it's what do you call it? mundane miracle? It's, it's yeah. this tiny little thing. There, there's no way it's going to go on a database somewhere, but something genuinely strange happened at my desk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I had it happen just last week where I um, had to borrow a truck while I was at work and there was a flashlight inside. And I said, wow, great. I need a flashlight. And I tested it and it worked. And I said, wow, that's great, great. I wouldn't expect, you know, this unused truck to have a flashlight with a good battery in it. <laughs> And the next morning I get in and I try the flashlight again and it doesn't work. Find that it has no battery in it. Now I'm the only one that's been in the truck and it's been locked anytime I haven't been in it. So how did it work the day before? Oh, that's... <laughs> With no... <laughs> or did the battery disappear? Oh, you yeah. Know, uh... Well, I, I, it's funny because I was just you're talking about this and I was thinking because you've had, Matt, a lot of, um, let's say, macro PK or, you know, the big... The big uh, physical effects, right? Yeah. And uh, your thing with the flashlight reminds me of um, I was uh, had this boyfriend in my twenties, and his dad was a very interesting person. He started out as like a Methodist minister in Texas, but of Japanese descent from you know ranchers. Um, and then he ended up getting interested in all this kind of new age stuff. He, he for a while when he was younger, he was. Um, uh, involved with the Yogananda Center down there in Texas, and there was an old lady who was a, a devotee of Yogananda, and um, you know he really liked her. She was very sweet, very nice. And so one day uh, she called him up. She said, "I'm having trouble with my TV. This is like in the '60s or something." She says, "I'm having trouble with my TV. I turn it on, it's on, but it just makes snow. I can't get any channels." So he said, "Okay, I'll come over and look at it." So he looked at it, there's snow happening, and he looks around the back of the TV, and it's not plugged in, right? Wow. So it kind of makes me think that you're just like, oh, a flashlight, great, and you had enough juice in you at that moment to make it work. Yeah. And maybe it never had any batteries in it, right? Yeah. I may not have had them to begin with. That's uh, that's the funny thing. And um, Yeah, or somebody took it, or the batteries just disappeared. Who knows? <laughs> but that's the thing that but it makes me makes me think that the first possibility is definitely in play because of the number of kind of uh large uh you know physical effects that you've experienced in your life right so. yeah i mean a tv operating with snow without being plugged in is is pretty fantastic i like that story plus you're like uh, this sweet little old lady you know <laughs> <laughs> Maybe through the sheer power of will that she had, uh, uh, she got it along that far, you know. Yeah, but I blame ball lightning. Yeah, <laughs> it's gotta be ball lightning. Uh, it wait, was so, so Matt, you, Venus, actually. Hey, you, you've had you've had PK experiences. Stuff is is alluding to here. Yeah, I, I grew up with them uh, for I don't know a good a good deal of of my uh, late childhood. Uh, into into adolescence and my teen years, and then 
through my 20s as well. Uh, ever since my mid-20s, it's something that's kind of uh, come and gone. Very occasional now. It's not. It doesn't happen often, but... Oh, yeah, there was always things moving around when I was younger. So, uh... Was this controllable or just, um, not just, but were you involved in it or just something you were observing, if that makes sense? Well, it always took me by surprise. So it presented itself like poltergeist phenomena. Mm. But I, I came to believe that it was coming from me, but I didn't know how to control it, you know? So uh, sometimes when I would get a little bit stressed out or annoyed, that's when it would start happening. Mm-hmm. Uh and then even more comically, if I told somebody about the sort of things that I experienced and uh, they didn't believe me or they wanted to brush it off, then the phenomena would occur just to almost as though to prove a point, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I remember I was telling, telling this um, girl I knew uh, a bunch of stories and she got really upset. Uh, she didn't want me to talk about it anymore. But it was the kind of thing where I had gotten to the part of the story where there was a payoff, you know, <laughs> that yeah. I wanted to finish the story. And uh, so I kept talking and she blocked her ears and just said, like, just kind of yelled at me that she didn't want to hear the story anymore. And then we heard this loud pop and it was like a glass paperweight that had been sitting on a desk in the room just exploded. It broke right in half and one half sailed all the way across the room and hit the wall. And the other half um, had fallen off the desk on the other side. Oh, <laughs> just like, yeah. That's like that. Uh, that it was like the, a softball-sized piece of glass that was solid. That's glass. like when Freud and Jung were having that argument about the same type of thing, and Freud's like "fuck you," and Jung's like "fuck you." I'm doing this right now, and there was a big that's the, like, split that's a door ver- or something. Right? That's verbatim what they said. They were just yeah. like "fuck you," yeah. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I don't know how to say fuck you in German. Uh, it was probably a German. No, but I know what you mean. Like the the it was like a pounding noise. I think. Yeah, and, and then and, he did um, it again. Yeah. Yeah, and and Freud Freud insisted that it was just a fluke and a coincidence, and then uh, it happened again. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like Jung's like double fuck you, but in German or Swiss or whatever. They were. Is there a Swiss language, or don't they just speak like French and German and? God, Alex told me I was okay. Could I say more? I I think it's just French and German. I think it's just kind of German. I don't know. I don't know anything about... I don't know anything about them, to be honest, other than knives, maybe? (laughs) Cheese. I know Swiss have cheese. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I traveled through Switzerland just literally just through on a train when I was a young uh, woman and... uh, it's very neat and tidy. I mean, there's these spectacular mountains and everything. And it's like, wow, it looks like they've had, you know, people crawling all over here, like picking up every gum wrapper and everything. I mean, it's very beautiful, but it's a little disconcerting. Well, they also, have, uh, they also have the Large Hadron Collider, or at least yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah. So. so when the world ends, we know how to blame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Large Hadron Collider. So I'm not going back to a kind of conspiracy thing. Just I don't think I've ever said this out loud. It's fucking weird that they have Shiva dancing statue there, right? Have, have we all seen that picture? Well, isn't yeah. it the, uh, a callback to what's his... Uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. What's his, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's still, that's fucking weird. Like, I usually don't believe in, I like... Think that, I think that was his nickname, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, here comes what's-his-butt Oppenheimer again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's that nuclear guy, whatever his butt... Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I, that, that talk about a weird confluence of studies. He's like way into Sanskrit and Hinduism and uh, you know physics, you know yeah. <laughs> atomic physics, you know a, a strange combination of things. Yeah, I was listening to this. But, uh, I was listening to Reza Aslan talk a while ago, and he was saying like, uh, I mean, this isn't you know his original thought, but he certainly talked about it a lot. That how kind of modern physics is mirroring the language of, you know, older philosophies and older spiritual traditions. And it does kind of, you know, make sense a bit. Like if you read the Gita, like there's a lot of shit in there that just sounds like nuclear bombs going off. Like anything that like Arjun does, like Arjuna does is it just sounds like he's using modern nuclear weapons. It's fucking weird. So I can kind of, you know, I stretching credulity. I could see where that's coming from. Sorry if I sound like that fucking aliens guy. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Alex Sukolos or whatever? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Giorgio. Yeah, Giorgio. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that guy was like a, a fitness instructor, and he was he was supposed to have a he was supposed to have like a workout show, and it didn't work out for him. So then they had an opening for an aliens guy, and he's like, "I'll do that." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's the way you got. You, it's all it's all smoke and mirrors too, and just the 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 um the showbiz end of things. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's so funny that uh, people cite TV shows as as uh, sources of knowledge for any of this stuff because it's like these guys just go to school for communications majors and they'll take whatever job they can get. It doesn't mean that they're material experts. Oh yeah. Of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then um, they, they get on guests that you, you know, have somewhat, somewhat, you know, uh, bona fides and take them completely out of context and edit the shit out of them to the point that they say whatever they want. And it's, you know, quite embarrassing. Yeah, they, yeah. Interview them for an hour and use like 30 seconds of what they said. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so frustrating. Well, it's terrible. I remember one time that Anthony was like, oh, okay, honey, here, for some, because, you know, if people are around you and they know you have these interests, but they don't really uh, care to the extent that you do, you know, one time he thought he was being nice. He's like, oh, I found the, you know, these ancient alien shows. And he's sitting there looking at him thinking, oh, this is just a horrible. And then he's sitting here kind of like with this kind of like, ah look on his face and finally he's looking at me. I'm like, this is terrible. He's like, Oh, I didn't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And people watch it just to make fun of it, but then people start quoting it at me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because I'll, I'll have friends that I run into in real life or once upon a time I did before, before you were you know, back in the days when you were allowed to go out and go to, go to bars and yeah. stuff. And also with uh, coworkers that I, I have occasion to talk to, and that's like the point of reference that I uh, that I get. They have the most superficial one, which is fine, but you know, uh, <laughs> people start talking about ancient aliens to me, and it's uh, I'm just like I don't watch it. I just don't watch it. Like I have I have a huge library of books on on UFOs that I can I can read anytime I want. And there's a lot of good video media out there that's just usually not on one of the major channels, but um, like the small town monsters documentaries or or Hellier and stuff like that. A lot of independently made stuff is is really good. Um, but then people come and talk to you based on uh, ancient aliens or uh, what was the other 
there was something else. Oh, the uh, the Tic Tac video. I'm so goddamn sick of that Tic Tac. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I've been hearing a lot well, about the, and the uh, storm area 51 when that happened last year. Oh, oh that was great. We're fine. Every day, somebody was like, "So you gonna go storm area 51?" Oh jeez, no, no. oh, oh, I know. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, the phenomenon yet? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's pretty funny though. I met a guy here. I live in a, a 55 plus active living community with my mom here, and uh, so you know, we walk around and you have all these seniors there. And I don't know, a couple, I said a few months ago, um, I ran into this guy. He was, had like this uh, trike. He was, you know, uh, riding it around. Older guy, amazingly. I think he just wanted to talk to someone who's, you know, a, a woman who's a little younger and tell her a couple of kind of risque jokes. But for some reason, he brought up synchronicities. He claimed he was really into them, and then he brought up a Coast to Coast AM, and it would crack me up because um, I said, oh, I know a couple of people that uh, are involved with that show, you know, Greg Bishop and Tim Benal. He's like, oh, well, and there's some other guy that works there that he actually, I think, uh, prefers quite a bit, and I was thinking, dang, man, I try and, like, name drop to this guy, <laughs> this old guy here in the park, and he's, like, looking down his nose at me. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you can't catch a break. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really weird because then people know that you're really into the subject and they want to talk about something like Storm Fifty, Storm Area 51 or Ancient Aliens. And then you try to just gently push them towards the, a more interesting story, a more a, a larger view of, of what goes on with ufology and the history of flying saucers. I mean, I can get a little bit long-winded and pedantic when that happens. And I understand that. And I try to reel it in and just, you know, uh, inspire people to look into maybe some of the interesting stuff they don't show on TV. And people's eyes just glaze over. <laughs> they quickly lose interest, usually. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you want to sit at home and get stoned and watch Ancient Aliens, I guess that you can have your mind blown in some way. But <laughs> it's not for me, you know. Yeah, well, it's also mostly horseshit, so <laughs> to be... <laughs> I can I can be unpolitic about it. Uh, I mean, I like I liked it better when it was called Eric von Daniken. You know, the, the the ideas were not new, and the, everything on that show is stuff that's been around since like 1959. Yeah, you know, the ideas that they're po positing. So, yeah, and von Daniken just took it from what's that dude that claimed to have uh, translated the uh, cuneiform? Oh yeah, oh heck. Oh, no, I've forgotten what his name is. Yeah, I can't think of it either. But either way, like anybody that actually reads cuneiforms, like, nope, that's not what it says. This is complete bullshit. <laughs> you don't know how to read this. Yeah, yeah well, a lot uh, of that stuff is super yeah. racist, too, which is not enjoyable. Right. And then mm -hmm. uh, Br Brinsley Lepore Trench was, was also involved with a lot of those ideas around the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I can't remember who the cune cuneiform guy is, though. Um, I keep thinking Klaus. That's not it. It's uh, Zechariah Sitchin. Yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, yeah. On on the uh, things I'm annoyed by in ufology note, uh, what, what, what do you think about this Tom DeLong shit? Uh, well, I don't. I oh, try good, really yeah. hard not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> it pops up in my feed a lot. And actually, he's been pretty quiet for a while now. I haven't seen his name popping up too much. So I guess he's probably not not too busy. Oh, okay, yeah. But I, I wasn't a fan of his band 
and uh, <laughs> I'm not really a fan of his uh, his research either. Yeah, it just seemed air like he was getting a lot of eyes on him. Research. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm lost on how... I don't get how that happens. Like, all of a sudden, that's the guy that's the face of it, but all right, sure. <laughs> uh, it's It screams to me... Um, and I mean, I, I could be absolutely wrong, and I could be paranoid, but uh, in my life, my paranoia has occasionally served me well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Exactly. You know? um, but it, it it seemed to me that uh, Lou Elizondo at all needed a frontman, and they found a frontman. You know, they just so, somebody that uh, is recognizable has some cultural currency and uh has the interest already in ufos and they just said bring that guy in you yeah know? so to me he's just a poster child um uh, i didn't you know i didn't mean for this to get cynical this was weird <laughs> well it's hard not to be cynical if you've been you know following the whole ufo saga for a while because you yeah. know it's because so much craziness. I, there's what I call hashtag UFO Twitter, and I spell mm -hmm. out the word hashtag when I do that so that I don't get attacked by people. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's basically largely a lot of people that started their interest in UFOs in 2017 or after. Mm -hmm. And to them, the Tic Tac is the, the one uh, single best piece of UFO evidence that's ever existed. And that disclosure is right around the corner and it's happening right now. And they're all very frustrated that more of us aren't excited about it. But for those of yep. us that have been watching these kinds of things for a long time and researching for a long time know that uh, disclosure was right around the corner a bunch of times in the past 50 years. You know, yeah. I remember when I got into it in the mid-90s, disclosure was right around the corner and... I remember the old men around me telling me about how in the seventies disclosure was right around the corner. So yeah, it's, uh, did you listen to them or were you like, fuck you old man, it's really going to happen. This time. I would, I would like to say I didn't have a response like that, but I was, I was pretty ornery when I was a young man and I'm pretty sure it would have probably went something like that. Yeah. It's the go, go nineties. I mean, we have pagers now. It's the future. <laughs> 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 and then you, you cranked Blink-182 in your car and drove away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't mean to imply that you listened to Blink-182. <laughs> I, I, I know. I don't want you two, to got you two guys to get in a duel over this old Blink-182. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll admit it. I think I had a Blink-182 record when I was in high school. Uh -oh. Like Like freshman year, I think I had one. No. That also says the level of interest I had in that band that I'm struggling to remember if I owned one record. But yeah. I, you know, look, you know, shit happens. High school, high school was weird. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, All right. So, well, uh, uh, what were you saying? Sorry, I totally interrupted. No, I, I, I don't know. I think we, uh, I think we derailed things there for a bit. I was just saying it seems like it's. We're getting onto subjects uh, that I try to try to avoid talking about too much because I don't want to, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Uh, <laughs> and really, that's all it is with hashtag UFO Twitter is I really don't want to hurt feelings. Yeah, I think if you, if people have a legitimate interest in UFOs, um, the way I've always approached it is like I mean I've had, I, I've had the wonderful opportunity to interact with a lot of people that know a hell of a lot more than I do. 
And if they tell me something, I listen to them because they know more. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> they've been doing it for longer. So, um, and I, that would just be my advice to anybody that's new to ufology: is if somebody that's been in the game a long time says uh, that that um, has some information for you, maybe just listen up. You know, instead of attacking them, because that seems to be what happens: is it gets really divisive. Yeah. Uh, have you? So, uh, I don't want to contribute to that. Oh yeah, no, you you bring up a good point. I just uh, that guy annoys me, and I'm that's me saying that. I'm not <laughs> speaking for anybody else here. Uh, have you had any uh, direct UFO things? I have, uh, and uh, to me, it's not not impressive just because of things that I've I've read. But um, yeah, I had I had an interaction with uh, kind of a small red dot in the sky uh, that I couldn't account for. But it, it almost seemed to respond to what I was thinking. And there were a few um, synchronicities around that as well. Um, and I saw it like a bunch of different times at the same place. Oh, okay. uh, but yeah, I mean, to, to me, it's almost, it's almost not worth telling the story. But then again, some people never see anything, you know. But um, yeah, basically a small light in the sky. It was very, very cold out and very windy, and um, it didn't seem like drone flying weather. Uh, and it moved in a way that I don't think most aircraft can move. So uh, it only started moving in that kind of erratic f fashion after I thought to myself, well, it's just moving in a straight line. It's not like it made a 90-degree turn or anything. And that's what it did. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> So I mean, yeah, I mean, not much UFO experience, but but it's definitely something I'm very interested in. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's definitely something. I mean, I'd 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 like that to happen. <laughs> it Me was really too. cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I was very excited about it at the time, um, and I told my son about it a few days later, and we were happened to be driving through there, so we stopped to look for it again, and it was there again. So just like a really strange thing where it's either an optical illusion that always happened there or um it or for some reason it would just appear there whenever we appeared there but uh it, it's actually part it's very close to an area in massachusetts northern massachusetts called the lemonster state forest and um that's referred to locally by some as Monsterland. There's a guy, uh, Ronnie LeBlanc, that wrote a book about that area. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think I either read that book or that's brought up in a documentary. I, I, I know about this somehow. Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah. He's on He's on a TV show now. I think he's on Expedition Bigfoot. And he's um, he's got his own podcast called Monsterland. But there's a lot of Bigfoot sightings around there, but there are also Bigfoot sightings where afterwards they see a red orb moving around. So uh, I, I didn't realize that till afterward, even though I was familiar with, with uh, his work. When I looked into it more, I'm like, oh, red orbs and Bigfoots, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, wow. that's, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, and but, the Hopo culture that were the mound builders, they often said that those were Bigfoot burial grounds, so this is all coming together. Did they really? Yeah, well, I mean, I read it in one dumb book. Again, not sourced. <laughs> I read a lot of schlocky paranormal stuff when I was young, so I don't I don't remember how much of it was real and how much it was like, ah, that's just some idiot said that. 
Well, so of course, uh, it, it wasn't Bigfoot erotica, of course. We can rule that out, right, Alex? I don't know if we can rule it out. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's slightly less likely than, like, just dumb paranormal books I got from the local library. <laughs> uh, All right, so yeah. uh, we've been going for a little while here. Um, Steph, I would like you to ask one more question. Well, actually, I'd like to have a little bit of a follow-up on this red light, Perfect. Matt, because I'm wondering, because um, you had this interaction where you kind of had this thought and then it responded to your thought. Did you feel that you had, uh, like, let's say, like a premonition of maybe having an encounter coming up beforehand, or did you feel afterwards, like sometimes people feel like they have like an ongoing um kind of telepathic or connection with an intelligence associated with this light or anything like that surrounding that? Or was it just kind of like just those couple of times it just kind of happened? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, just to set the scene for you, it was maybe 10 degrees out with a wind <laughs> chill that made it more like negative 10. And uh, it was a place that I was very familiar with because it was on the way back from dropping off my son with his mother. Uh, I drive quite a distance when I do that. <laughs> so mm -hmm. this was always the home stretch. It was this one spot in Gardner, Massachusetts that was uh, a little pull-off rest area. And then when I, when I got out, um, I, I would get out to stretch and to have a cigarette because I didn't smoke in the car. And I left the car running because that's what you're supposed to do. And I had a podcast playing. Uh, and when I saw the light in the sky, I was like thinking, is it a satellite or or a shooting star? Not really sure what it is. And uh, and then I, then I thought to myself, well, it doesn't move erratically. It's moving in a straight line. It's not like it moved at a 90 degree angle. And that's when it did. You know, it just shot mm -hmm. downward and then started doing the falling leaf pattern zigzag. Oh, wow. yeah. and, and after that went into kind of like a um, figure eight sort of thing. Um, so I mean, dramatic moves, not like it just kind of, um, wiggled, you know, mm -hmm. and the podcast and the car switched from the one I was listening to, to one that I had already listened to earlier. Cause mm -hmm. I was listening to welcome to night Vale with my son, introducing mm -hmm. him to that show because he thinks it's funny because yeah. it is, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. So he's not wrong, but, um, the beginning of the episode had started with the narrator Cecil saying, red light blinking in the sky. Um, the future is coming, and it, although it's unclear or something like that. It's just some vague thing that he says at the beginning. But the first two words are red light. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's just kind of, that's, that's bizarre to me. That's where it kind of really hit me, where it was like, this doesn't feel real, you know? Um, and then after that, when I brought my son back, we were actually talking to it. We're like, mm -hmm. come on, light, do stuff. Like, come on down here, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, why don't you come over here? Why don't you show us what you are, you know? Um, but, you know, it, it never really did. I don't really feel like I got any um, communication from it. Mm -hmm. But I was I was overjoyed to see something like that. And, uh, and you know, of course I tried to take a picture or something, but your, your phone's not going to pick that up. Yeah. Uh, and I, it kind of made me feel like this is just for me right now. It's not for <laughs> sharing on the internet or something, you know? Yeah. Speaking of the, coming back to the uh, name game, I just want to say that this is Gardner is the name of the town. And of course, Gerald Gardner 
was the uh, big person who developed Wicca, which has become yeah. massively more. Yeah, so another kind of name connection to oh, this strangeness. Edward Gardner was the theosophist that was looking at the Connolly fairies that I was talking about earlier. As well. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here back to more uh, lazy bad writing. Yeah. yeah. Except if you were in, in Massachusetts, you'd be pronouncing it Gardner. Gardner. People who live there would call it Gardner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sully, I saw a wicked piss of a red light. <laughs> 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 oh, Massachusetts. It was wicked weird. Yeah. Wicked weird, kid. Oh, boy. <laughs> I haven't been in Massachusetts in close to 20 years, and I still remember it. <laughs> yeah, the accent's different depending on what part of the state you're in, but I, I don't really have it. I somehow dodged the, the New England accent bullet, but... <laughs> yeah, it depends on where you are and, you know, kind of how much you're interested in sounding like that, to put it politely. I mean, I was raised in New Jersey. I try, I dodged that, I dodged that as much as I possibly could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can, um, you can choose to, to try to sound more like the people on TV that yeah. you watch. You know, what I think is funny is when actors try to adopt a New England accent and they fail miserably at it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, that always cracks me up. Um, all right, so UFOs, I think we got it. Why don't you tell the audience where they can find you? You know, if you want them to find you. you know, if not, it's, you know, I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people can find me. That's fine. Uh, yeah, on Twitter, that's where I post a lot of my stuff. The uh, the on this day stuff where I put little factoids from weird history and weird news articles and things like that that I find. And uh, that would be at a prodigiosis. So, like I said poor choice in name but if you do at a p r o usually it auto fills and i pop up there um and then there's apstrange.com is the blog where i write once in a while to, uh stuff that i've been i've been looking at um and those are pretty much the two places excellent those are two good places we like them uh yeah steph what are, where do you, where do people want to find you um, you can go to my uh, blog. It's called uh, Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box, and it's at stephaniequick.home.blog. And I'm also on Twitter. Um, probably the easiest thing is like to go to that blog and then look at the contact information because I have like my Twitter handle is kind of obnoxious. Wandering Britches spelled weird. I don't know why I did that. And then I'm also on Facebook at just uh, Stephanie Quick. So you should be able to find me there. Excellent. And Everybody knows where to find me. I've been doing this forever. If you don't know where to find me by now, that's just, that's on you. Uh, <laughs> well, Steph, thank you. Thank you for being professional co-host of the year. You've done well. Uh, Matt, thank, thank you, you for being a guest of the year. Sure. You got it. You're guest of the year. Congratulations. You've won. Wow. Yeah. Outstanding. Thank yeah. you, Matt. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, we got two, Thanks for having me. I really appreciate fun. it. Uh, yeah, that's it. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. Bye.